I'm going to draw off the top. Oh, you can draw off the top? Yes, you can. I did not know that. You can. I've been doing that all along. <laughs> and I'm going to play some more chili peppers. Oh, no. Delicious chili peppers. Fury Bowl. Now I just got to draw that Fury Bowl. You got a Fury Bowl. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Thanks for paying attention. Yeah. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, we bully on our foes by hot spicing their bowls in Ramen Fury. Next, we spin the gears to please the gods in the corniest of games in Soulkin. And lastly, the march of clues is relentless as we race to answer the riddle first in Clever Endeavor. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein. I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hi, I'm Matt Povolitis. And it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and I fight for your right to party. Yeah, party. <laughs> Hey, everybody, we hope you are enjoying our new mini-episodes. Side quests. They're special Witch Game First episodes where we bring you a standalone gaming-related topic, such as interviews with game industry professionals or discussions on features from the huge world of board games. And this week, we're talking to the guys from Sprites to see how things are coming along. Next week, Joe and I will suit up and get on the march through the history of war games. There is so much going on that it's a two-parter. Uh, if you get a chance, please leave us a rating or a review or a Facebook post or a like or an Instagram heart or a tweet, a retweet. Or a post-it note on a cute dog. Tell your neighbors, tell your family, tell your friends. A shout out on the telephone. Every little comment <laughs> helps. And thanks so much for listening. Our first game up this week is Ramen Fury, designed by Forrest Prusan Creative and Prospero Hall, published by Mixlore in 2019. Number of players, 2 to 5, ages 8 and up. Playtime, 30 minutes. Okay, when we accidentally bought this game in the noodle aisle on a late night munchie run, what were our first thoughts? Ed? Who knew that variety was the spice of life? Hey, watch it with that chili pepper. Evan? I went to the pantry to open a package of ramen and outspilled this game. Mike? Shouldn't we be playing this game just after midnight with a little bit of a buzz? Will the spicy action of this gameplay raise my blood pressure as much as MSG? But before we start heating up this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Ramen Fury, the use your noodle card game, <laughs> players rush to prepare and slurp up delicious bowls of ramen filled with tasty ingredients. Mmm. Collect combos of cards to score for different recipes while adding garnishes to boost your points. At the same time, watch out as other players throw spicy chili peppers your way or swipe foods right from your bowls. It's take that fun that will have you calling for takeout. The game ends after a player has eaten three bowls and the player that ate the tastiest bowls wins. Let's talk about the packaging of this game. Oh, God. That, that packaging is a winner. This is a package of ramen. It is. It's it, it just... Oh, man. 
It's in a thick plastic wrapper, just like the ramen noodles are. It's incredible. And when you pull out the box that's inside this ramen wrapper, it looks like a block of noodles. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to start heating up some water. Uh, seriously, every time we saw it, it, for some reason, I really wanted to play it. But I think deep down, I really wanted to eat it. <laughs> like That's what made me attracted to this game is it was making me hungry. Uh, that's why I, I got this game. I saw it's like, what? This looks like a pack of ramen. I got to buy it. Exactly. It's brilliant marketing. Brilliant. Like, I didn't expect much from the game, seeing the packaging. I was like, oh, it's just a, uh, you know, it's a packaging gimmick. Whatever. Yeah, that's but right. It actually was a lot of fun. I was very surprised at how fun this game was. There's a lot of strategy in it, too. Yeah, you get these little spoons that let you steal one of somebody's top ingredients and move it to another pile. Hey! Or you can do it to your own and move it around, too. In case something's a little too spicy for your taste, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it can be fast-paced, which I like a lot. Anyway, pho is a quick meal, so it should be quick to play. Yeah. P-H-O, pho. Yeah. Pho. The pho makes foes of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so what you're trying to do is to basically take a flavor packet, which you put into your bowl. Soy sauce or beef or chicken or shrimp or... Fury flavored. Fury. Fury flavor. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they give you different parameters of what you're trying to do to get points for that bowl. So one of them will say a bunch of different kinds of vegetable ingredients. And you'll get you'll get progressive points depending on how many different ingredients you put in there that are different from each other but still vegetable before you flip the bowl over. When you say flip the bowl over, you mean consume the uh, delicious, delicious creation that you've concocted. And eat up those points. Exactly. You could also spill the bowl if you want to start from scratch. Mm -hmm. But it slows you way down. And if somebody else finishes Mm -hmm. their three bowls first before you can build up your bowls again, you're out. And you would you would want to empty your bowl if someone starts throwing a bunch of ingredients in there that you don't need. Or those chili peppers and other things that'll mess up your recipe. Chili peppers, yes! <laughs> and one for you. Yum. Can't put it there. Oh, one for them. Only put it there. And one more chili pepper, Nora Jordan! Oh my god! <laughs> this is so fun! <laughs> this is so fun! There's a piece of nori that if you flip it into the main like shopping area where you draw your cards from, you can immediately play it on somebody's bowl. And it's only worth one point, and it clogs up one of the five ingredients only that you can have in each bowl. Yeah, but at least it gives you a point, unlike the chili peppers. Minus one point for the chili peppers. Minus. Which doesn't make sense, because I love my ramen spicy. I don't know. Well, then you got to make a fury bowl, because that's the only way chili peppers count for you instead of against you. Which I did. I played this twice, and both times I was looking for that fury bowl, because people, as a free action, put peppers into your bowl. So I was like, okay, let them put peppers in there. I'll just let them stack up, and then I'll play that fury packet and make it worth two points per pepper for that. Mmm, delicious fury. You get to choose two different actions per turn. Which is not a lot. No, it's not enough. Oh my gosh, it's not enough. <laughs> it's so limiting, yep. I mean, really. It's cool. You can choose the same two action twice, which is nice. You mm-hmm. can uh, like draw twice. You can um, swipe the board clean and put a, four new cards into there. So fun. Yeah, oh, that was the last favorite. <laughs> You're just like, none of these cards for you. Swipe. Yeah, And just brush them all away, and then you have to start with brand new cards. But it does use up one of your precious two action, mm-hmm. but you could get some uh, garnishes like the the nori or the, uh, the peppers. Yep, which you get to play for free if they hit the table that way. It's like being a temperamental chef. None of these are good enough. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay. 
<laughs> Not good enough. But I think the most precious resource is a spoon. Everybody only has two spoons, and you can take that to take at the top ingredient from any bowl and either put it in your hand or in another player's bowl. So you can use that to scoop stuff in, from other people's bowls, or you can use it to kind of as a defensive resource. But you only got two of them. For the whole game, that's it. Two spoons. And if you like to cause grief, the spoons are definitely the best way to do that. Oh, it's like, oh, that's a nice fury pack. Thank you very much. Yeah, you got to be careful where you place your ingredients. Sometimes it's good to just play two in the same turn on top of each other so they can't steal the second one. All of these little pieces, the spoons, the cards you can play, chili peppers and nori garnish to mess up your other players, the different ingredients oftentimes that you have to place uniquely in your bowl to get points, meaning you only get points for the first scallions you put in, not the second scallion card. All of these little bits add to giving you strategies that you can really use for this game. It's not just simple build the fastest thing first. Yeah, the strategy was surprisingly deeper than I would have expected. Uh, and Celeste, you misread one of the cards there, and that was pretty fun. Yeah, it was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, you mean the unique part? Yeah, the unique part. Yeah, I may yeah, not were- have been listening as closely as I should have <laughs> when Ed was reading the rules, which isn't like me at all. Really like I'm thing. usually yeah, no. laser focused when Ed is reading the rules. Locked in. Yeah. Yeah. No. Can't peel her away from that rule book. Yeah. But maybe she was distracted by the absolute pretty nice art on these cards. I mean, they're simple, but they're very well drawn. And they were making me hungry, which is one of my complaints about <laughs> yeah. games that all these food, food games, games, I know. Yeah. The, one of the tricks of this game is that the game can end rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Let's say Mike has his three bowls in front of him. He's already completed one of his bowls. He's still working on two. At any point, he could just say, okay, my two actions are my second bowl is done, my third bowl is done, and that triggers the last licks, which is the last chance you have to finish up your bowls. Mm-hmm. So you might want to be working on all three of your bowls at the same time as opposed to leaving one empty because if you hit last licks with an empty bowl, you're done. You're not going to get any points there. It's part of that deep strategy is knowing exactly when to end the game. Uh, Evan chose a really good strategy, and I think he won the game that we were playing together, of letting his bowls be almost full and then waiting for somebody else to trigger the end and just shutting two of the three bowls down. Yeah, and I think the flavor packets allow you to change strategy too, so it might be nice to put some ingredient there to see what you can go for. Because if you can't get unique veggies, but you got three scallions in your hand, hey, it's time for the chicken flavor to get the three to kind. Putting a couple of the ingredients in first is a good idea so you can be a little bit more flexible with your strategy. And that's what I did. Right, because the flavor packet is the only card in the bowl that's going to dictate exactly the win conditions for that bowl. Meaning, if you put in a chicken flavor, you are looking for pears and three of a kind. But if you put in beef, you're just looking for unique meats. You got to be careful, though, because if you build up your stuff in the bowl and then do your flavor packet last, somebody will spoon it out if you don't close it down right away. <laughs> yeah, you got to be a little careful. Yeah, you got to use your action to finish the bowl and flip the bowl if you're going to do that. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Ramen Fury. Evan? It's a clever idea. Served up well, and it tastes as good as it plays, figuratively speaking. Spoon it up. Ed? A light and fun theme game that serves up some nice strategies. Slurp it up. Mike? A lot like $1 ramen, I thought this game was going to be cheap and forgettable, but it actually (laughs) turned out that it surprised me, so I dig it up. (laughs) 
This game's peppy pacing, fun action, and surprising strategies was enough to overcome my natural aversion to food-themed games. Dig it up. Evan, where can you find it? You can find Ramen Fury at local game stores and online. It runs for about $10. If you have thoughts about Ramen Fury, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Taste the victory. Our next game up this week is Zolkin, the Mayan Calendar, designed by Simone Luciani and Danielle Tashini. Published by Czech Games Edition in 2012, number of players 2 to 4, ages 13 and up, playtime 90 minutes. After recovering from our shock to find this game and everything else still here on January 1st of 2013, what were our first <laughs> thoughts? Evan? Cool, we get to play a Lord of the Rings game. Oh, you said Zolkin. <laughs> My bad. Mike? I always expect a bloodbath when the Mayans are involved. Ed? Let's have the worker go for a spin. The board has real cranking gears. Mm. I wonder if the moving parts will be cool or clunky. But before we wind our way through this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Zulkin, the Mayan calendar, your Mayan tribes place their workers on giant connected gears. And as the gears of the calendar tick forward, the workers rotate towards increasingly powerful action spots. During a turn, players can either A, place one or more workers on the lowest visible spot of the gears, or B, pick up one or more workers. When placing workers, they must pay corn, which is used as a currency in the game. Corn is your currency. When they pick up a worker, they perform certain actions depending on the position of the worker. Actions located later on the gears are more valuable, so it's wise to let the time work for you. The game ends after one full revolution of the central Zulkin gear. The player that has pleased the gods with the most victory points wins. Why do gods need victory points? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Heavenly conflict. They're throwing around victory points at each other up there. That's true. I know in the Greek and Roman mythology stuff they did, but did the Mayan gods fight each other for control or did they just stay in their lane? Have you ever met a well-behaved pantheon? <laughs> no gosh they are fighting and arguing i mean i think they all demand sacrifice of some sort or another there the gigantic gear in the middle of this board i was so worried it was going to be like just some lame gimmick but it was the engine that made this entire game work absolutely brilliant yeah it drove the game haha <laughs> it sure did they moved smoothly they worked well they changed the board every turn and were integral to both the theme and the mechanics. Yeah, I was worried mechanically it wouldn't work very well because the board is like puzzle pieces that you snap together. And so I was like, oh no, this gear thing is going to catch on this board. But actually it turned out to work pretty darn well. I want to see the prototypes for the gears that didn't work. There's probably a whole room full yeah. of things oh, that they tried that couldn't get to work. <laughs> it probably went through a lot of prototypes. Ed and I tried making a board that had like multiple moving gears on top of each other. Oh, that's tough to prototype. Super tough. Kudos to the producer of this game. Whoever handled and oversaw production and creation of the actual product did a brilliant job. Looks great, too. Yes, and also the meatballs, even though they're simple cylinders for the workers and cubes for the resources, I think they worked mm -hmm. perfectly in this case. Uh, that cylinder moved around on the little perfectly fit 
circles on the gears. And I imagined that they were workers. So it worked well. And they're spending time working. Yeah, the passage of time with the gears clicking shows that your workers are being more productive. And the longer you keep them working at something, the more value it has when you take them off the board, which is brilliant. Now, these workers require being fed. (laughs) This was different. Uh, Worker placement games I've played in the past have not really had this requirement, but you have to have maintenance costs here with your workers, and it's not cheap. No, it's hard to get, too. It's always on the mind. Uh, How am I going to feed these people? I got to keep making sure I have enough at the right time. Yeah, paying for your workers reminded me of the taxing that Martin Wallace likes to do in his games. It's really brutal. It reminds me of Agricola, where you have to pay food for your workers every turn. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I know that you mean Agricola, Ed, but we'll let it slide. (laughs) This is going to be the ongoing fight. I think every episode we should reference Agricola. (laughs) You must feed as many workers as you can. If you fail to feed them all... Sacrifice them to a god instead. You lose three victory points for each worker you cannot feed. Why? I just sent them up the mountain. It's time. You've done good work. The god is ready to reward you. Ready to pitch yourself into the volcano. So the large gear was connected to mini gears that were sort of different realms of work. So different ways to labor. You had kind of like mining or gathering heavy resources. Farming was one. Technology was one. And then there's the tribute gear. You bring the crystal skull there. They get the victory point and praise the God. And it was so tricky because you have such a limited amount of workers. You, you start the game with three workers and there are five gears to choose from. And each one offers unique items and unique mm-hmm. pieces that you have to gather in order to do other things. So you really got to choose carefully. Well, yeah, in a lot of games like this, you know, my first goal is get a couple extra workers. But in this game here, feeding them is tough. And uh, being able to actually put them on the gears is tough because it costs you corn to put additional workers beyond the first. And it's a ramped scale, too. So it's really expensive to use a lot of workers. I think there's also a little bit of a trap there because from my perspective, you want the workers to stay on the gears so you can get more benefit from them later. But if you put all your workers out in one turn, next turn you're going to have to start pulling them off the board already. It's a requirement. When it's your turn, you have two choices. Put workers on the board if you have some, or pull workers off the board. Right, and to me, it's very counterintuitive to not use all your workers every turn in some way. It was just really tough for me to grasp that sometimes you just need to let them sit by the wayside. So it might actually be to your advantage here to put just one worker out at a time. Not only do you lose less food, but it's allowing your earlier workers to get better benefits later. To let time pass while they're working. Right. Yeah. This game has some of the deepest long-term strategy I've I've seen in a long time. Yeah, and there's a lot of different paths, too. Like, you can ignore the buildings and, and focus on just doing skulls, or, like, really build up buildings and, and try to get efficiency in every action. Boy, those buildings take, took a lot of resources to acquire, and plus you have to have a worker on the correct gear at the correct spot at the correct time in order to even try to build a building. So it's not a fast building process. It's slow. It's a very incremental game, and the benefits are usually one-offs. You know, I'm always, I was always hoping, oh, when I finally get this, I'll get it every turn. Mm -hmm. But no, you get it once, so it's so incremental. 
yeah, the only thing that really gives you like benefits like you're talking about is going up in the technology area. They're getting mm-hmm. a lot of action efficiency there in the technology area, which I think we didn't spend enough time on. I, I spent a little bit of time in there, but the thing I noticed is that it takes so long to actually get it rolling to the point where it's worth it. I, I don't know. I, I ran out of money really early trying to do that. Ran out of corn. Yeah, I ran out of corn. That's another one of those synergies. You have to have somebody working on the corn gear to keep getting you corn for these other pieces, but it takes so long. He doesn't yield you corn every turn. He only yields you corn once you take him off, and then you got to start all over again. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, that that is painful. It's like reset every single time. I actually found like towards the end of the game something I liked that I was doing was putting a couple of guys on the corn track at once. That way I can pull one off and still have one going up the track and have enough money to do what I needed to do. Right, multiple workers on the same gear, right. Thematically, I think it really works to be this slow. Mm-hmm. I mean, civilizations moved slowly at this tech level. So I like that about it. You know, there's no industry around anything. So there really is no way to move quickly. Yeah, I thought it fit the theme really well. Yeah, and speaking of the theme, the Jokin calendar combined 20-day names with 13-day number to produce 260 unique days. Oh, wow. So there's no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And the 260 unique days paralleled by the 26 teeth on the main gear. Oh, does each day have its own name, like Corn Day and <laughs> Wood Day and Gold Day? Anybody speak Mayan out there? No. Uh, Mayan. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> Not in my lexicon. <laughs> so online, there are thousands of images. This has a big fan base, this game. And the gears that come with the game are kind of single color. They're mono color. But some fans have painted them like a Mayan mural. And they are beautiful. You can see some of these images on the Zolkin page on Board Game Geek. Wow, that's cool. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. Evan? It's not the most intuitive worker placement game I've played, but I'll be more confident next time. Dig it up. Mike? The gears keep a potentially messy game very neat, and it's so fun to turn them. The deep long-term strategy has me wanting more, so dig it up. Ed? Zolkin provides a fun and engaging addition to the classic worker placement games. I'll dig it up for its wonderful theme. There are lots of unique paths to victory, and none of them are easy. But they are all interesting. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find this game? You can find Zolkin and its expansion online and at local game stores. Retails for about $60. If you have thoughts about Zolkin, the Mayan calendar, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We're at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Clever Endeavor, designed by Lawrence Blackwell and C. LaCroix, published by Mind Games, Inc. in 1989. Number of players, 2 to 8, ages 12 and up, playtime, 45 minutes. Okay, when we confiscated this collection of conundrums... What were our first thoughts? Evan? The track on the game board looks like intestines with a 1970s flare, if there (laughs) ever could be such a thing. Oh, intestinal flare-up. Nice. (laughs) Well. Ed? A trivia game. Let's hope it's not trying to be too clever for his own good. Mike? Oh, no. This board game gives me flashbacks of one of the worst games we've ever played on the show. 
Not so much a trivia game as a riddle race. Interesting. But before we decipher this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Clever Endeavor, one player gives the cards category and then reads out the six clues one at a time as other players try to guess the answer. The fewer clues you need, the farther you will move forward on the track towards the center. The player who solved the clue becomes the next clue reader. If no one solved the card, it passes to the left. If a player lands on a space with a triangle, they draw a venture card and they follow those instructions. Right, Mike? Oh, God. Don't even get me started. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) If they land on a red space with an arrow, they fall back to the space indicated. Backward movement. The the first player to reach Uh, the center of the board wins. The first person to get through that entire digestive track on the board wins. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Without being regurgitated. So, Mike, what is with the 80s and digestive track style boards? Well, at least it doesn't make you feel hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it reminds me of the midlife crisis board where you're just winding your way slowly through the intestines of this horrific game. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but in this game, it, winding your way through the digestive track was a little bit smoother. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it had more fiber in its diet and it moved you through smoothly. Yes. Their pawns were nice translucent plastic pyramids. They were cool. I'm glad you called them pawns and not meeples. Yeah, they were not meeples. Yeah, they were pawns, they were not meeples. And Ed, why is it? What's the difference between a pawn and a meeple? Ooh. Meeples are more like resources, while pawn is just a positional thing. But the pieces are pointy and sharp. They're not really ideal for moving through the digestive tract. (laughs) (laughs) Need some extra fiber for that. But what was with that? Awesome pawns and a terrible game board. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, we got this game from a thrift store. Maybe those weren't even the original pieces, were they? They came in a velour bag, right? They are the original pieces. They are? With the velour bag? Like the dice bag and everything? Why? That's such a mismatch. Such an insane waste of money, that velvet bag. It doesn't do anything for the theme of this game. If you're going to have a velvet bag, it should be a treasure-based game or a game that has sort of a lush historical bit. But this is like, why a velvet bag? The red velvet bag was like a stomach. They put a whole production budget into those pond in a bag. Yeah, it, it was their way of saying, sorry, we made the worst board possible, but here's a nice pouch for you to feel and look at. A nice pouch and pods. It's such a bizarre dichotomy. If you look at their advertising photos, now again, back in the 80s, it's all about those pawns, as if the pawns somehow mattered to this game. You know, you could put... You <laughs> yeah. could, well, at least they were playing to their strength. Yeah, true. That's a good point. And this game box has one of my favorite things that I absolutely miss in modern games. The photo of people having fun playing the game. <laughs> yes. Having fun in air quotes. Like they, they look like almost they're in an, like a uh, Pleasantville situation. They're having so much fun. It's not staged at all, is it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and usually with a beverage in hand. Oh, you got to have the the adult or perhaps not an adult beverage in the hand, of course. Yes. The ambiguously adult beverage. Kick back, relax, play a game of clever endeavor. Wait, <laughs> oh, gosh, it's so contrived. It's, it's almost insulting. I don't know. I find it a charming time capsule to the era. Yeah. I mean, for Evan, I'm surprised you didn't like it more because this game is chock full of puns. Like, every turn, 
that one of the clues they give you is almost a pun-like clue to try to give you kind of a meta clue about what they're talking about. Ah, uh, well, I guess we should talk about the game itself, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, but the visuals are so rough to get around. All right, the game's actually better than everything else we've talked about so far. <laughs> it is. It's surprisingly decent for a trivia, quote-unquote, game. It right. is more of a riddle game. Mm-hmm. Because one player is reading the card and everybody else gets to try to jump in with the answer. I like that. Yeah, it's that is a fun thing. Okay, let's give them a total. This is how you play the game. This is a straight-up example. I'm going to read a card. It's okay. a thing. All right. Okay? Now, I'm going to read okay. increasingly easy clues. Now, it says in the rule book to read the clues in the order that you think are hardest to simplest. But... I don't know why they didn't just order them that way on the card. I guess they were trying to give you a chance to interact. I think they generally did that, but no, maybe some people say, oh, that one's too easy. Well, they might have also been giving the reader a chance to participate a little bit more by interacting with the card that way. That's actually an excellent point, Mike. Or I could be giving them too much credit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can do some guesses. Everybody has two free guesses at the beginning of their score track. But if they're in the red zone, you only have one free guess. And then after that, every time you're incorrect, backward movement for you. Yeah, the red zone is closer to the end game of the intestinal track you're following. Yes, the flare-up area. So, <laughs> And they have other colors on that track, too, but they have no meaning. Yeah, right? It, it, that was bizarre. I guess they were just trying to show like a temperature gauge, you know, like <laughs> your, your nice cool intestines at the beginning and then flared up all the way at the end. I don't know. <laughs> or they were contractually obligated to get the color blue in there somewhere or something. <laughs> they had a barrel blue ink to use up. <laughs> all, right. all right. This is a thing. Porcupine. Desk. That's your free guess. One oh, free shoot. guess down for Oops. Evan and me. I get one more. All right. I am nationally known. Oh, you're supposed to get four seconds in between, so. Four to six. It gives you some leeway. I am holier than thou. Swiss cheese. Yes! Oh, my gosh! See? I learned to play to the puns of this game. (laughs) But now, oh, so check out what happens right now. Ready for this, guys? I move ahead five spaces (laughs) because it's a... Seven minus two. Seven minus the number of clues that you got. I move ahead five spaces, I land on the triangle space, and I draw a venture card. The venture card. Let's read the venture card and see what happens, Mikey. That is probably the weakest part of this game. It is an unnecessary deck of cards <laughs> that is just a holdover from the old times when chance cards were in so many decks. It was almost like you couldn't produce a board game without this random chance deck. And I don't know why it was so attractive. It's a conspiracy. Big chances at, at work here. I feel like it's kind of valuable to mix a game up a little bit. But the, what they did with those cards was such a travesty because what happened to me on turn one... <laughs> was I landed on that space, drew the card, excited that I got a special bonus for answering the question so well, flip it over and it says, go back to the space where you started. uh, Basically negate your turn. And not only did I lose that turn, but I also was the card reader because I got the question right. So now I don't even have an opportunity to answer the next question. But that's okay because my venture card. Yeah, your venture is better. What happened with you? Well, I got to move ahead three extra spaces. Thanks. Yeah, of course. So that's an eight-point swing in Evan's favor (laughs) just for lucky card draw. Total randomness. Yeah, and pointless color text like the card might say, enjoy life in the fast lane, accelerate ahead, three spaces. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it messes with the benefits you might have for actually being skilled at answering the cards. If those cards at least said, answer this question right by yourself or go back three spaces or answer it right and go ahead two more spaces. Something like that. I have a suggestion to fix this game. Okay. Throw out the board, throw out the venture cards, just read the questions, score the points and play to 100. There you go. You got a game. That that game works. The board length is actually fine. Especially if you remove the venture cards, the game is actually paced impressively well for a 1980s game. Oh, yeah. I can totally agree with that. Oh, yeah. This is no Trivial Pursuit. I mean, No, uh, thank goodness. No, it's not a slog like that. Right. I mean, the clues keep progressing and you feel kind of smarter in a way because you get more chances to answer it. In Trivial Pursuit, they just give you a flat question and you have to somehow reason it out. And this one here, you have a bunch of clues how to reason out the answer. And everybody gets to play all the time, right, Ev? I love that. That's always a plus in my gaming book. And it's interesting how the the questions are actually crowdsourced. They actually ask a bunch of people for ideas. Mm, that can be tricky, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is pre-internet, so th- this must have been write-ins? What? Yeah, and, and who did the double-checking of all the information? That's That's a lot of work. A lot of work. I don't know if anybody did. Oh, no, I guarantee you they did. Trivia was no joke in the 80s. You had to have a solid trivia game, and it had to be right. Everything had to be fully polished and ready to go. So, yeah, an amazing research job. They had to go to their libraries, probably, to look up some of this stuff. Think about that. Or maybe each person who submitted a card had to produce resources for it. You know, that's the way I would have done it. All the authors of this game, this crowdsourced game, were written in the rule book. So there are hundreds of names as the author of this game. Let's read them. Aaron Anderson. <laughs> Aaron Arnson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> Zeke Zerdich. <laughs> <laughs> the condensed version. Yeah, we edited the middle out for you guys. but uh, You get the point. It was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Play some fast forward (laughs) noises in between. (laughs) Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Clever Endeavor. Evan? I admit I had low expectations, but I was surprised at how much I enjoyed trivia with hints. You might too. Dig it up. Ed? I'm not a fan of trivia game, but this one isn't as bad as I expected. While it's not good enough for me to dig it up for my own collection... I'd play it again if what's on the table. Mike? If you can put this eyesore of a board aside, it's actually kind of a fun trivia game. You should all give it a try. I say dig it up. It is a fun twist on straight trivia. And great that everyone gets to play. And as I think we've said with other games, leave the chance deck out. Dig it up. This game can be found online secondhand, as it's not published anymore, for about five bucks. If you have thoughts about Clever Endeavor, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Okay, Explorers, it's time to decide. Of the games we played this week, which game first? Mike? Although I was really pleasantly surprised with how interactive and deep Ramen Fury was, I have to say I adored Zulkin. It's one of my favorite strategy games I've played in a long time. Evan? Let's play Ramen Fury first. It's easy, it's quick, and a lot of fun. Ed? For me, Zulkin is where the strategy's at. Oh my gosh, choices, choices. (laughs) I actually liked all three of these games. 
<laughs> for such very different reasons. I am a huge, huge fan of trivia, but Zolkin was so unique and interesting. I'm going with Zolkin. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you're doing. Send us a tweet or hit us up on Facebook. And if you'd like more perks and content from this show, including our exclusive podcast for patrons only, bonus points. Just go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating, a review, a comment, a tweet, anything to get the word of mouth going. And join our chat on our Discord server. Happy gaming, explorers. That's called an outro. Yeah. And so our journey comes to an end.